Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Toserrado, el cabezazo, gol. picado y el estreno del brasileño Gabriel en su primer partido con el Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra, the first Arscast Extra of a brand new season. And James, it is a goodly morning, so goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too, and goodly morning to everyone listening. The season has begun pretty much Exactly as I would have liked it, especially if you factor in the Tottenham result yesterday. We had a lot of people asking us to read hashtag Jose out or hashtag Mourinho out uh, tweets and stuff. I feel like it's a little bit early. We've got to let it slide a bit more before we get into that kind of shenanigans. And it is, in fairness, just one game of the new season. Feels just a touch premature to me, but I can understand why people are, are enjoying it. Well, the thing is, we are Jose in. That's the problem, right? I mean, at the moment, yeah. I want to keep this going. There was a bit of Jose out happening. I did have a little cursory glance. And, you know, for example, one Tottenham fan, Thomas Hunt, said, Jose Mourinho is killing Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Hashtag Jose out. And that's precisely why we're Jose in. Well, exactly. And, you know, how can you kill something that's been dead since 1961 anyway? So True. there is that, True. There is that yeah. aspect. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just a shame that the documentary will not cover this period as it descends <laughs> even further into sort of the mire. I have to say, on the subject of other football, did you read any of the stories about Iron Robin yesterday? No, what did I miss? I've, <laughs> what have I missed? So Iron Robin retired from football a year ago. Uh, from Bayern Munich, right. and then this summer declared that he would be coming out of retirement at the age of 72, or whatever he is, to play for Groningen in Holland. Okay. Um, and I just saw it and thought of you, because he played, uh, he started, made his comeback, and left the field injured after 28 minutes. <laughs> so he really is absolutely back to what he what we remember him for best in England I suspect exactly pick up where you left off I guess that's yeah. the way to do it you know what is it they say about writers write what you know so maybe mm. it's the same maybe it's the same with footballers he's stuck to a, a tried and tested storyline there can I ask you a question because you might know given your you know your connections now with the athletic and the very uh, many and varied writers uh, that are in there specializing in in each club and of course there are very well connected journalists in there um, uh, have you guys been able to get to the bottom of this did someone laminate Scott Parker <laughs> Yes, actually, and there's a deep dive on that. We're speaking to the guys who did it. Usually they just sort of work with menus, for example. <laughs> but on this instance, they were brought Scott Parker and he emerged absolutely coated in plastic. He looks like an action figure. I don't know, I don't know what it is. 
Maybe yeah. the real Scott Parker is being kept hostage somewhere, and this is kind of a weird plastic standard. Normally, yeah. I mean, he's uh, shiny. I, yeah, I would rule something like that out normally, but given the way 2020 has gone, uh, I, I, I just don't anymore. I mean, you look at Scott Parker and you know that when he played football, he was a guy who used his full name when he was going up for a header. Scotty Parker's ball! Yeah, of course. The longest version of his name, Scotty. Scott Wilson Woodrow Dermot Manfred Parker's ball! <laughs> Absolutely that. And I'm just having a Google now. Um, is Scott Parker made of plastic? You never know. Mm. You never know. No, it's not been covered elsewhere yet. So great news for the Athletic that that exclusive, that scoop is up for grabs. Well, look, it was a good day out at Craven Cottage for Arsenal. Well, what, about two-thirds of Craven Cottage because the other bit of it seemed to be knocked down. Um, yes. Not that we could see, but they did show some aerial shots of, of the stadium uh, and they're building a building a new stand there. Feels good time to do yeah, it, good I guess. <laughs> Feels timely and not timely, uh, you know, yeah. in, in concert with each other. But there you go. So, look, we uh, kicked off our Premier League campaign with a 3-0 win. You know, all the positives that you can take from that. Arsenal keeping a clean sheet. Arsenal uh, winning away from home, something we didn't do a great deal of last season. Great debuts for Gabriel, for Willian. Goals, uh, a goal for uh, Gabriel, two assists for Willian. Where do you stand on the people who say, should be three assists? Should be three assists for Willian, you know? in fairness he took a shot and you know that's basically the same as setting up a goal uh, a I think clever it- wall pass paid, played off the goalkeeper yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's it's weird I think it's one of those things the encroaching rule of fantasy football I think is affecting people's perception of the actual football because I think it probably gets recorded as an assist in that as they need to give it to someone but it's quite difficult to make the case that you know it's a, a, an act of creativity <laughs> from William as, as much as I would have enjoyed it you know, yeah. if he had got the hatch of assist but I thought he was excellent yeah, there's so much to be pleased about in this game. Right. Well, where do we start? Uh, team selection, team, I, I guess. guess. Yeah. Team selection. I suppose, you know, he had uh, he really did have some thinking to do at centre-half. We, we knew that Bernd Leno was going to start in goal on Friday. Emi Martinez is off to Aston Villa, and maybe we'll cover that a bit later on. But we knew Bernd Leno was going to be in goal. Um, the the issue at centre half was complicated by the fact that David Luiz is injured, Socrates is injured. I mean, Socrates doesn't play anyway, even when he's fit. Um, mm. And it meant that he just had, with you know, Mustafi out, Pablo Marie out, Callum Chambers out. He did have to think about what way he was going to set things up, and you know, to to play Gabriel. Uh, as the anchor man, as the middle uh, guy in a in a back three, was not necessarily something I was expecting him to do, and I, you know, I, I feel like um, it was okay. It wasn't the most difficult game he's ever going to have, but I felt in some ways it was asking quite a bit of of Gabriel on his Premier League debut. He hasn't played for such a long time. He doesn't really speak the language. He's got Kieran Tierney outside him, Rob holding the other side of him. So experience there, but you know it was a it was a a difficult choice, I think, for Arteta in some ways. Yeah, I was thinking about it sort of stylistically and thinking who's the guy who is the most natural sort of Louise replacement in the middle there. And I was thinking, I was kind of thinking it might be Rob Holding actually in the middle of the mm. back three. 
But if you think about it, that would involve making two changes to the composition of the back three, because then you've got to put someone else in on the right. You've shifted holding inside. At least if you bring Gabrielle straight in for Louise, you're keeping Tierney somewhere he's comfortable. You're keeping holding somewhere he's played. And it's always a difficult one with that back three, but I kind of feel like in some ways that the central defender can be a bit more protected at times. Mm. So so maybe there's that in Gabrielle's favour too. I mean, um, it was one he had to weigh up. He took that decision. Interesting as well that he didn't go for Saliba, you mm. know, and that Saliba wasn't involved. I think that maybe tells you a bit about how they're kind of managing his introduction. Um, I'm just thinking further ahead in the team. I mean, I suppose it was a slight surprise to me that he went for Elneny over Sabayos. I just thought yeah. he, he might keep Sabayos straight in, but maybe that's... Um, a fitness thing as much as anything, and then he's been with this team for mm. the entirety of pre-season, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things to point out is, um, you know, when we play the system and when we use Maitland-Niles on the left-hand side, mm. you know, this is not a new observation or anything like that, but he does tuck in quite a bit into midfield. And if you look at Gabriel's heat map, it's pretty much traditionally what you would see from a left-sided centre-half. In possession, you know, it was I, a four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so he was next to holding. Exactly. So, you know, a lot of the time, uh, you know, he was kind of in a back two, um, you know, nominally anyway, in terms of where he was positioned on the pitch. Mm. So that probably left him feeling pretty comfortable. Um, so, you know, yeah, it was an interesting one. I think the, the Elneny selection was also interesting and it raised some eyebrows before the game, didn't it? That... Um, you know, we're going to Fulham, a newly promoted side. We're playing with a back three. We've got Shaka and El Nenny. You know, the kind of midfield combination that we've seen plenty of times in the past with which we have struggled, you know, to assert ourselves in games or, or, or um, you know, control games um, in the way that we might like. So certainly, you know, El Nenny is a, is a more conservative option than Ceballos, but it m- might well have been a fitness thing. Nevertheless... I thought he played very well, El Nani. Yeah, and all the indications are that Mikel Arteta is, you know, at the moment inclined to keep him around, which, you know, I know we speculated about that a few weeks ago, and, and it looks that way. I mean, he's just quite a handy player. I mean, I don't think anyone is sort of saying he's world-class or he should start every game or anything like it, but mm. in terms of a, a sort of dependable uh, squad player where you know approximately what you're going to get for them, even if there are limitations to that. I think, I think he has an obvious use. So uh, Arteta was, you know, couldn't have been more uh, full in his praise of El Nenny after the game and mm. spoke about how he played with him. I think all the signs are he's going to be around. I think Sabaris will come in sooner or later to that team, but good to have that option. And then. Further ahead, I mean, I mean, I suppose there were quite a few surprises. I thought Eddie Nketiah would probably start this game after the Community Shield and Lacazette having quite a late um, mm. entry to pre-season. Um, and I wasn't sure that Willian would play, but, uh, you know, interesting that they both they both started the game and it meant that Nketiah and Pepe were on the bench. Yes. Look, you know, the, the decisions that he makes uh, ultimately will, will be judged on how we play and the result. And, you know, on this occasion, you have to say he got his team selection mm. correct, you know, on the basis of the way the game played out. I mean, it does raise some questions and I'm sure some talking points that we'll get into. I think it's just as worth uh, saying as well that it is the first game of the season. And this is a, uh, a weird... An unusual season. Yeah, yeah, an unusual preseason with players going away, having to quarantine, coming back, holidays, fitness 
all of that kind of stuff. You know, it's too early, I think, to start looking at things and being definitive. You know, in a few weeks' time, if we're starting to see certain patterns in team selection, then I think there are wider points to be made or wider discussions to be had. But, you know, one game in, it's very difficult to read too much into, you know, the team selections that he has. I mean, if you're being completely cynical about somebody like Elneny, for example, and I agree with you, he's a useful squad player. There's a lot of football to play this season, too much football to play in a short space of time. You know, we are going to need a deep squad. There are still question marks over others, but at the same time, if he's a player who has um, reminded some potential suitors uh, of what he can do and might uh, attract a bid, maybe there's an upside there as well as you know having somebody who can come in and perform consistently. And I think we have to be mindful that there are layers to things like this. It's not simply a question of Elneny coming back in and being, you know, um, I'm not sure it's just about bringing him back into the squad and into the fold, even if I can see why Arteta is is uh, is happy to do that. I think there are other factors. Very possibly. I mean, look, Emmy Martinez played the Community Shield and it looks like he's going. And, uh, you know, I, I think there are lots of players who would have for sale signs above them in this squad and he would be one. And depending on what Arsenal do in the market, he could yet move. Mm. Uh, I just think... You know, it it depends on who goes out, doesn't it? It depends on mm. who goes out. And if someone like Ganduzi, for example, if he leaves, Elneny's a, a sort of decent allegory for covering that part of the pitch. Um, but I will say, as much as this is a weird season, and as much as it's tempting to say, well, it was the first game, it was Fulham, uh, what I think is important about this match is these are the sort of fixtures in which we are really looking for Arteta's Arsenal to improve and our record against the smaller teams or certainly the lower teams in in the Premier League last season was not particularly good we didn't dominate and we did at least do that on this occasion and that feels like a step forward yeah I mean I I just couldn't get my head around the well it's only Fulham sort of post-game qualifications from people Mm. like Mm. you know there's this weird thing that you know, you can't have a balanced or nuanced view about something. You know, if you're happy with an Arsenal win over Fulham, it doesn't mean you think we're brilliant again and we're going to, you know, wipe uh, everybody out on our way to winning the league. (laughs) You know, but at the same time, you know, we lost games to teams like this last season. Um, You know, these so-called smaller teams, when you lose to Aston Villa, you lose twice to Brighton, I think. Um, You know, you drop points against some of these smaller teams because you can't you can't take advantage of your your supposed stature or or superiority. And if everybody's complaining about that being a problem, when you illustrate that you have um, done something or tried to correct it and it's worked, uh, how can people complain about that? Why are they so keen to sort of downplay um, you know, what was a good result, a good performance and something which, you know, it's, it, just, it just sounds so redundant to say, like, not all of our problems have, have been fixed because it's, it's obvious. Nobody is saying so. that. People are creating these weird straw man arguments, but don't complain that we don't do something on the one hand. And then when we do it, complain that it's, it's supposed to be easy, you know? Mm, yeah, well, I mean, if you can't be happy after a win against Fulham, I mean, you know, the Premier League is full of Fulhams. There are a lot of games like this, and 
what are you supposed to do when you win them? Just kind of nod appreciatively or shrug your shoulders or mm. cross your arms and say, another goal, please. I think you, yeah. particularly as we sort of drop down, you know, in terms of whether or not we're competing for the very top trophies, we really do have to enjoy the moments when our team are good. And I thought Arsenal did look good on Saturday. I agree. And I think what I really enjoyed, you know, we can talk about the goals now in a few moments' time, but I think what I enjoyed was the was the increasing comfortableness that the players seem to have with the way they're being asked to play. You know, a lot of playing it out from the back. Arteta wants his team to keep the ball in tight areas, even if it puts us under pressure. And I think there are going to be moments in this season where something goes wrong. You know, I think it feels inevitable that something will go wrong at some point when we play like this, because, you know, there is an element of high risk to it but it very nearly did on Saturday well yeah I mean the very early uh, incident with, with Gabrielle and mm. uh, and Leno and Maitland-Niles and whether it was a misjudgment or a miscommunication or whatever it was you know that was a that was a big moment in the game because if Gabrielle had been involved in in that kind of an incident which had cost us a goal within two minutes mm. you know you you know what the the reaction would have been like and um, you know, what would it have been like for his confidence on his debut to be involved in, you know, I'm not saying it would have been 100% his fault, but, you know, the spotlight would have been on him for a goal against Arsenal within two minutes of starting the new season. Just the optics mm. of that and the way it would have, the way it would have changed the complexion of the game and the way we would be thinking about things right now is, is very big. So we've got to give a, a huge amount of credit there to Bernd Leno, who yeah. made a, a really important save. Um, <laughs> He did. You know, and, and look, I I know we've all loved Emmy Martinez and what he's done over the last few weeks, uh, and rightly so, and everybody um, is, is quite entitled to feel good about that. But I, I think we ought to remember that when that incident happened against Brighton, there was a sort of outpouring of dismay because Leno had been so good for us. And it was like, well, what, what do we do now? If he's going to be out for nine months... You know, as as was the fear, we are going to need to buy a goalkeeper. There weren't too many people saying Emmy Martinez is the guy who's going to step in and, and do the job. Mm. You know, which doesn't mean we can't change our opinions on his ability to do that based on what he did. But, you know, Leno had been a big, big player. And I think that was a that was a really important moment in the game. And I think Leno deserves a lot of credit for it. It was a really timely reminder of his quality and it kind of came flooding back to you in that moment. Oh yeah, this guy <laughs> bailed us out multiple times mm. last season. Um, I agree with you, you know, Martinez, is, or Martinez sorry, has been fantastic. Uh, I love how I've corrected my pronunciation yeah. of his name Just the as weekend he's going, yeah. that he leaves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, I think that a bit of recency bias was always part of that conversation and also... Uh, there's a real romance to Emmy's story in terms of being in the shadows for 10 years and stepping out of them and looking so good. But Leno was, I think, as good for the vast majority of last season. And uh, yeah, that was a big moment for him. And he came through it, the team came through it. And like you say, for Gabrielle, huge as well, because he departed that match with a clean sheet, as mm. a goal scorer, a really successful debut, and the narrative around it could have been very, very different. I think another interesting aspect of Gabriel's performance is just how involved he was on the ball. And, I, you mm -hmm. know, I know some people have said, well, look, he, he wasn't the most progressive with his passing or anything like that. But, you know, I think there's a time and a place, and I think on your debut, you know, to come in and be basically the fulcrum of the teams um, uh, at, at the back, you know, in terms of passing the top four 
pass combinations involved him. He had more touches than anyone else, more passes than anyone else. You know, it, it, it speaks to, um, I guess, a, a, an assurance from his new teammates that they trust what he can do. They won't have had very much time with him on the um, on the training ground, really. You know, he's only been involved for the last, whatever it is, week or 10 days or, or whatever it is. But also, I think, um, you know, when you're a team that plays the way we play now and the way Arteta wants this team to play, it speaks to uh, a fair amount of trust on Arteta's part in Gabriel to come in and be that guy perhaps earlier than he might have liked and, you know, to play perhaps a role that he hadn't necessarily envisaged him playing. I think he probably would have been maybe the the guy on the left of a back three if David Luiz had been fit, if he'd been selected mm. for this game. Mm. So I think there's there's something to read into that, you know. And look, it's one game from Gabriel, and we don't want to get uh, carried away or anything like that. But but little things like that, little signs like that can can be really positive. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting, you know, you made the point that in possession, Arsenal basically went to a back four. He was next to Holding. And Holding sort of took on some seniority next mm. to him. He would kind of coach him through the game, talking him, it to him in the warm-up. Um, yeah, I, I just think there's. Uh, it's interesting to see that Holding, who has had one foot out the door, basically, around the time the Community Shield happened, now suddenly seems like quite an important figure bringing in a bit of stability at the back. Yeah, well, not anymore. Mikel Arteta said, what did he say yeah. after the game? He said, I told him you're going nowhere basically mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and look y- you could make the argument that him going on loan to newcastle would have been good for him and you know maybe it would have been but also if he's got a chance at arsenal and he knows he's got something to prove it could be good for us too i mean look he was involved in the um in the second goal wasn't he um i enjoyed mm-hmm. this from marcus bensison uh on twitter who's at m bensas who says is the emergence of rob holding as an attacking midfielder going to hamper the development of some of the youngsters like emile smith <laughs> um but you know he, he he had a good game i i thought he had a very good game uh rob holding um yeah and you know brilliant run that was as well oh, yeah and i think what was the most um the, the juggling was eye-catching. What I really liked was the, the little left-footed pass beyond the defender straight into the path of, of Lacazette. Mm. So, I mean, did, did, did we actually score from that corner? Yeah, yeah. Willian took the corner and Gabriel, yeah. you know, faced it home. I don't think he really headed it. I don't know where exactly. He shoulder, hit him. face. Shoulder, yes. side of the ear, whatever it was, doesn't matter, went in. But, yeah, I mean, if... If if Rob Holding is feeling emboldened to stride forward and juggle the ball through the opposition defence, some shit's going down at Arsenal that's really good. That's true. He looks increasingly emboldened as well. Mm. If you have a glance at his hairline. Um, oh. But he... That's terrible, isn't it? It is. He, uh, yeah, he, he was good. I mean, uh, I ooh, should we go back to the first goal, though? Sure. Why not? Why I not? have forgotten it. It's Lacazette, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Willian's beautiful, masterful assist, of course. Yeah, of course, of course. But, you know, some good football. And, I mean, I think there were times um, throughout this game when Arsenal really did play good football and, and moved the ball very well. Um, I mean, Lacazette scoring away from home, that's good. It is good. It is good. And, look, he was in the right kind of area. You know, that's where you want your striker to be. Um, what can you tell me about the move? I'm having a blank at the moment. I'm so in love with our third goal that the first appears to have disappeared from my brain. Um, I'm trying to remember. Maybe I'll just watch it here, will I? I have it here in front of me. 
I feel like there's a crossfield pass. Involved. Yeah, Aubameyang picks it up, um, plays it in the middle. Xhaka has a shot. It's kind of scuffed around. Willian then plays the ball cleverly off the goalkeeper, and it um, it goes it goes in at the near post. So, well, I mean, one of the encouraging things about that and about this game in general, by the way, is how m- many Arsenal bodies there were. Uh, getting forward and getting in the box and mm. we'll come to it again on the third goal but it's not the first time that Aubameyang has bent home a shot from the edge of the box but there have been three or four runners beyond him and I find that a very encouraging development yeah wasn't there a graphic or a, a, an image doing the rounds of the positions of Maitland-Niles and Tierney um, for that goal versus the goal that he scored in the, the community shield oh was it well it is almost identical yeah yeah yeah. you know so um, I mean that, that, that goal I mean the third goal obviously the build up from the back is the perfect illustration of why Arteta wants his players to keep the ball in tight areas um, mm. what was it he said before or well sometime during last season you know does he does he get a bit worried when his players play it out at the back? And his point was, no, I get worried when they kick it long because it comes back straight away. You know, he wants his team to keep the ball. Um, and that that build-up was, was really nice. Um, great crossfield pass from uh, from Willian uh, to Aubameyang. I mean, I do... It's a replica almost, isn't it, by the way? I don't know if you've seen the clip of... <laughs> Yeah, that, alongside the uh, Community Shield goal, mm. but, you know the moment that Saka strikes that crossfield pass yeah. is almost exactly the moment Willian does exactly the same thing, um, and and perhaps more interestingly than that, the pattern play to get out from the back yeah. is almost identical, um, and some of these players play their role in it really effectively. You know. Mohamed Elneny, people say what they like about him, but I think that he has shown in both those goals an ability to take the ball under pressure and keep it, which I don't necessarily think we would have anticipated from him. I think Hector Bellerin, his passing in both moves is pretty accurate and pretty effective, and I think that's probably an underrated aspect of his game. Mm-hmm. Rob Holding, we've spoken about as growing in confidence. Great to see that Bernd Leno was involved as well, because one of the things we've been talking about about Emi Martinez is we think he's probably better on the ball. Well, at least Leno was involved in the move and you know showed that he can play that short passing game a bit too. It's just a brilliant, brilliant goal. And yeah. uh, the finish and the execution from Aubameyang is so good, but we're sort of becoming spoilt by it at this point. Yeah, I mean, look, it was uh, almost identical to the other goal, but there was nothing Fulham could really do to stop it. Again, you know, the defending, perhaps, you could get a a bit closer to him, but he makes that look really easy. Mm. He makes it look easy. Um, You know, it's it's just an amazing ability he has to score goals that aren't easy and make them look so effortless. You know, you, you saw him pick the ball up and you went, well... If this opens up, I kind of know what he's going to do here. And he did it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's... Yeah, I, I don't know what else we can say about Aubameyang and his goal scoring other than it's fucking brilliant. Uh, and you can understand why the club are so keen and have been so keen to tie him down to the new contract. Um, so, yeah, look, nice football. And I think you're seeing things happening on the pitch uh, dare we call them automatisms when you're talking about the patterns of play that are uh, seeing us work the ball out from the back. Mm. You know, players who are, uh, I, I think, being drilled on the training ground how to do this. And, yeah. and we're seeing it in matches. It's not uh, jazz, to borrow Philippe Claire's uh, phrase. It's not 
pure improvisation. We've literally mm. seen, we talked about it last week in training videos, you know, these patterns of play being developed, being hammered into the players so that when they're under pressure, when there is a man two yards away, when they've only got a second on the ball, they can resort to those patterns. They can just, you know, rely on what is becoming instinctive to them. And uh, it's, a, it's a sensational goal. And yeah, I loved it, to be honest. Yeah, brilliant. Um... What was it going to say to you? You mentioned him, Hector Bellerin. I think we need to talk a little bit about him uh, because uh, I thought he had an excellent, an excellent game. Um, An interesting role as well, I think, as a wing back. You know, he was doing some some funky stuff, as was Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I predicted, of course, on the Friday podcast that I had a fear that Hector Bellerin might leave the club. Mm. Um, I was relieved. And uh, embarrassed 24 hours later when PSG signed another right back, making them quite an unlikely destination at this point. Yeah. Uh, And to be honest, I hope he stays. I mean, I've always hoped he stays. Mm. So, uh, yeah, let's, fingers crossed. I think he... He's looking better and better as time goes on. Yeah, I think one of the the things that, you know, people talk about with Hector is, you know, when he first broke through, he was just unbelievably fast. A really, really quick player. And that clip, was it against Swansea, maybe, where he chased back and the guy was going Mm. through on goal and all of a sudden it's like, he's like uh, the roadrunner. Yeah, Yeah. you know, just coming in to clear the ball off the line. And there were maybe a couple of those. Um, And it's clear that, you know, that same pace isn't quite there anymore. But I think as well, I think that does him a disservice as a player. Because he's a he's a better passer of the ball, I think, than people give him credit for. You know, he's a, he's an intelligent player now. He's twenty five. He's been at the club ten years, as he said himself afterwards. You know, he's going into his tenth season at the club. You know, he's a he's a really smart player, I think, um, and I'm glad to see him return to something like the kind of form we know he's been capable of. And I think we're looking, you know, if we're looking at Rob Holding as well. Um, you know, two guys who've had quite a chunk of the last 18 months, two years, taken out by cruciate ligament injuries, the recovery from those, the, uh, the sort of associated aches and strains and little niggles that you get, you know, when you've been out that long and, and everything else. And, and just the confidence that you need from playing regularly and having a coach who, who believes in you and trusts you. And I think what we're seeing from Hector is, you know, progression towards the kind of form that made him, you know, one of the the most, uh, what's, how would you say it? I mean, he was quite sought after. Man City wanted him. Pep Guardiola wanted Barcelona, him, you know. Yeah. You know, so I think it's a really positive thing um, for Hector. You know, did it say something to you that, not simply that he started, but that Cedric wasn't even in the squad? And I don't mean, I'm not slagging off Cedric or anything like that, but, you know, I think there's something quite emphatic in that. It, well, I think it's going to become increasingly harder for someone like Cedric to make the squad simply because uh, it's, we've gone back to seven subs, haven't we? Yeah. Um, and if you look at the Arsenal squad and, and the versatility of some of the players in it, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who could fill in at right back if needed. I think even Rob Holding at the start of his career played out there. You know, it becomes less necessary to include someone like Cedric. I think he'll play in cup games here and there. Mm. But, you know, there's a clear gulf in my mind between what he and Bellerin can do. And I think you're right to make the point that his pace was so evident, so defining, that I think it occasionally has led us to overlook 
his more technical qualities mm. and the fact he has such a good technical grounding from La Masia and then coming into Arsenal. I mean, when you watch the third goal again, he, he receives a pass under real pressure. I think it's from Granite Xhaka in the right-back position. He he hits it, I think, off the outside of his boot first time into El Elneny in the midfield. It is a really, really remarkable piece of <laughs> retaining possession, given the pressure he is under. Then Arsenal break away. And when Aubameyang curls that in the top corner, uh, Hector is well beyond him. I think he's the furthest man forward, pretty much, with mm. Maitland-Niles. So... It shows the engine is there. The speed is coming back. Uh, I really, really hope that he that he sticks around for, for this season at least. You know, I think in the longer term, I think I can see that Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Bellerin might be a bit of a clash on that right hand side. Maybe only one will will triumph there. But for now, you know, I want Bellerin in that too. Um. What was I going to say to you? Yeah, we've talked. We've talked about Gabriel and what an impressive mm-hmm. debut he had, and we have touched on some of the things that that Willian has done. But I mean, what did you make of his first outing in an Arsenal shirt? I mean, did we play in that kit just to sort of make him feel a bit more comfortable? <laughs> I thought it was a very grown-up performance, um, and I think that's the sort of the, the the big takeaway from it. You know, it was very assured, very professional didn't give the ball away. I think he had one unsuccessful pass, mm. which for a player who's operating ostensibly as a kind of winger is really unusual. Uh, I thought he did an interesting thing where he not only would he go outside at times, which is one of his strengths, but he would come inside. I mean, he was wearing the number 12, but he looked a bit more like a number 10. He operated in central spaces. He and Maitland-Niles kind of along with Shaka and Elneny, formed a bit of a midfield square. You know, they were, they were always available as an advanced option in central positions. I just looked at it and I thought, well, this guy is a proper professional. He's an experienced Premier League player and that's the advantage you have. You sign someone who's comfortable in this league, comfortable in this country. They arrive and they hit the ground sort of running. Yeah, that's, what, what did you think? Well, yeah, I thought he was very good. I thought he was very good. Um, um but, you know, like you say, that's kind of why you're bringing in a 32-year-old. He doesn't need time to settle. He doesn't need time to get used to the league or the pace of the league or the, the style of football. You know, he's been in the Premier League, been there, done that, worn the T-shirt. Um, you know, it's a pretty horrible T-shirt, but there you go. Um, you know, I think that is that is what you want, um, to use, a, to use a, a phrase which uh, has had its meaning changed uh, over the last few days, but he's kind of oven ready, isn't he? You know, he is sure. He is ready to go and ready to slot in. And I think what was interesting was just how, how at ease, how comfortable he looked in the team and with the teammates. And there were moments um, which I think in the second half, which I thought were really interesting, was he sort of hugged the touchline and Bellerin moved inside, mm. almost like an old-fashioned inside right if you like, he was in positions where he might be able to take up the ball and go forward with it and, you know, clearly instruction again. So there's something, there's something interesting about the way um, that he gives maybe just a little bit more balance to the right-hand side than Nicolas Pepe. Um, yeah, and I think you're right to point out there was a bit of an evolution of the shape on the right-hand side. You know, it felt to me, and I think we'll need to see more of it to be sure, but it felt to me that Bellerin and Willian, to a degree, when they went forward, their roles were kind of interchangeable. You know, mm. one could go inside and one could go outside. It wasn't a particularly strict, rigid pattern. Uh, and I think Willian, you know, he's just very, very suited to that. I mean, 
he's got good set piece delivery as well. I mean, everyone's tempting. It's tempting, isn't it, to give Andreas Jorgensen credit for the second goal? But I think it's probably got more to do with the fact if you have good set piece delivery and you've got a six foot three guy in the middle of the penalty box, mm. you, you might get a goal out of that. But, yeah. um, I, I think uh, I thought he was excellent, to be honest, and he showed. You know, all through this pursuit and all through this signing, the point has been made for very obvious reasons. We understand why it's been foregrounded and why it's been made. Look, Mikel Arteta wanted this player. But when you watch this game, you sort of had to sit back and say to yourself, well, I can kind of see why. Yeah, yeah. Good debut. And I think when you look at the heat maps as well, it's quite interesting to note that Hector Bellerin was further forward uh, on the right-hand side, the Maitland-Niles was on the left. So, you know, that wow, bias, yeah. that attacking bias down the right-hand side. We've tended to be a bit left-sided because, obviously, Aubameyang uh, is down that side. Um, so that's interesting as well, just maybe to to not put doubts in the minds of other teams, but you know, mm. to have that kind of variety or that versatility in terms of how you attack is is very interesting. I mean, anything else on the game itself? Um uh, uh, no, I mean, I, I suppose we should mention the little brief moment in the warm-up. What did you make of that between Nketiah and Ceballos? Um, they were all smiles on Instagram stories afterwards. Right, well, there you go. There you go. Look, shit like that can happen. Um, in warm-ups, in training, you know, the kind of stuff that happens all the time in training that we don't get to see or don't get to hear about, you know. And anyone who's played football can attest to the fact that sometimes you can get a bit cranky with one of your teammates it doesn't mean you hate him or anything like that so especially uh, if you're fired up you yeah know. yeah exactly so you know storming a tea, teacup for me really um stuff like that always looks worse in the 10 20 second clip that you get you know but Sabayo seemed to have a couple of little goes at in Kedia, didn't he and um mm -mm. look if they're all smiles afterwards and they've made up and they're friends that's kind of the end of it you know yeah uh, I wouldn't it never looks good but it happens everywhere yeah exactly exactly you know there are much worse things to be worrying about at this moment in time before we go to part two though I just want to talk or ask you very quickly about William Saliba um, mm. who didn't feature at all wasn't in the squad and afterwards uh, let me see Michael Arteta I have the quotes here where he said you know I think it's going to take him some time to adapt to our way of playing but also to get adapted to the language, the rhythm, the physicality uh, of the country as well. We have to bear in mind he didn't play much football uh, last season with all the injuries he had. So I think it'll be a process. We've got to be patient. You know, w when, a, when a club like Arsenal goes out and spends £28 million on a player, a teenager and they want him so badly they're willing to spend that much money and also agree to a loan back to the club that they're buying him from, mm -hmm. you know, you can understand why expectations are high. It, it suggests that this is a potentially a special talent. Mm. But at the same time, we do have to remember that he is only 19. And in, yeah. in a position where, um, you know, if you make a mistake, as we almost saw with, with Gabrielle, you know, it can be really damaging to you. Um, so I, I, I didn't really raise too many eyebrows about the fact he wasn't in the squad. What about you? No, it doesn't surprise me massively. I mean, I asked a couple of questions about it and basically heard back that he's not ready. And you can interpret that any way you like. But from what Arteta's saying, it sounds like, you know, tactically and technically, they just don't want to drop him in the deep end. And, 
you make a good point about they wanted him so much that they would allow him to spend a season on loan. But also the fact they allowed him to spend a season on loan suggests they knew mm. even then perhaps that he wasn't necessarily ready, that they were buying this guy for the future. Yeah. And that's a kind of mid-term, long-term future rather than immediately. And the signing of Gabriel, you know, takes the heat off him a little bit and is someone with a bit more first team experience, a bit older who can step straight in. And I actually think that keeping Rob Holding around is probably going to mean that Saliba's introduction is slower because they're probably in competition for pretty much the same space in the squad as far as I can see. And, you know, Holding is the more experienced man. He's the man in possession. I'm sure we'll see Saliba in, you know, we play the League Cup pretty soon, don't we, against Leicester. Maybe that will be an occasion. Or if not, it'll be a Europa League game. We will see him. But I like that he's not being rushed. I think it's sensible. He's still really, 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 really young. Um... And that's fine. We've got other options now. And in Louise, Gabrielle, Holding, we've got options that I'm sort of relatively comfortable with for the time being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, patience. Um, if he's going to be a big player for us, he'll be a big player for us. And he is only 19. There's got, you know, he's got lots of years ahead of him, hopefully, in an Arsenal shirt. So yeah. I know there's always an anxiousness, isn't there? When you get a new player in, you want to see him straight away. You want to see him perform straight away. But the reality of his situation is, I think, you know they are going to have to to be be gentle if you like yeah so. you want to see him when he's ready that's when you want to see him yeah exactly exactly because you know uh, f- football fans these days are so um tolerant and patient of uh, mistakes <laughs> that yeah, i'm sure you know if he made a couple people would be very understanding and what have you so look okay um fulham nil arsenal three what a good way to start the season we are top of the league as it stands, mm. still a little bit of a way to go before uh, we Yeah, can... <laughs> but, you know, having the edge at this stage <laughs> is important. You know, yep. we've got one over the chasing pack. Yeah. Um, Goal difference. I'd rather be out in front, you know. <laughs> rather have points on the board than have to try exactly. and catch up. All right. We're going to take a break. We will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show that we, that we, fuck, I fucked it up again. Fucking start of a new fucking season and I made a bollocks of this straight away. Welcome to the new season, Uh, same as the old season. Hey, look, I'll swap it for three points. If Arsenal win and I fuck up this part of the podcast every week, I'm okay with that. But this is, you are too? Okay, good. 
I'm sure the listeners are as well. Uh, we answer questions, blah, 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 Twitter, blah, Gunner blog, blah, Ars blog, Facebook, Discord, blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> Let's get on with the uh, questions. This one comes from Helgi Asbergson, who mm. says, what do you think... I can guess what this might be about. Yeah. What do you think about getting Runar, the Icelandic keeper, as backup for Emmy Martinez? Win-win for Arsenal, I think, really cheap buy. We could use the money for a midfielder uh, like uh, Awa or Partey. Don't let it influence you guys that I am from Iceland, he says, with a smiley emoji, but maybe he's just trying to lure us into a false sense of security. I don't know. Anyway, what do you make of these, um, these stories linking us with uh, a player who is called... Runar Alex Runarsson. Well, they are true insofar as Arsenal are, are definitely interested in this player. And they looked at this player about two weeks ago quite closely and there were some conversations between the clubs. Actually, the feedback I had at the time was that Arsenal didn't want to do it because he wasn't homegrown. And there is a bit of mounting concern about our homegrown quota. Yeah, just on this, sorry to interrupt you, you can go back in, yeah. but I did have a question or a comment from this from Herbie Gooner, who's at Herbie Gooner. He says, I don't think you've covered this angle. The sale of Martinez and probable purchase of a new foreign goalkeeper reduces our homegrown numbers by one. Any thoughts mm. as to how we'll comply with the rules and the impact this might have on transfer strategy? So maybe that's a wider point we can come to in a moment, but just keep going on the goalie. Yeah, so I, you know, I think that they really wanted the goalies to be homegrown. David Raya, actually, although he's Spanish, came through Blackburn's academy, so you know he fit the bill there. Um, but they pff, have been met with a firm no from Brentford consistently. They just sold uh, Ollie Watkins for a billion pounds mm. to Aston Villa. Um, so there's no need for them to sell him at all. And now they seem to have gone back to Renarsson potentially. Um, def- apparently in the last couple of days it has accelerated a little bit. The only thing I- I'm slightly wondering is if he might be second or third choice simply because Matt Macy is is not much longer for Arsenal. Um, mm. I think that he sort of made that clear, I think, in his interview with The Telegraph, but we also know that... Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. Clearly, we need to strengthen a goalkeeper. I mean, in theory, bringing in a guy who is relatively experienced for an incredibly low transfer fee. I mean, Renarsson, we're talking about about a million pounds. Um, makes a degree of sense if he's good enough to be the number two, which I have to say at the moment, I don't really know, to be honest. Yeah, um, I don't either, having never really uh, heard of him before yesterday sure you know sure. which i'm sure is true of of uh, a lot of people but obviously not our wonderful icelandic listeners um he's, he's, he's been capped for iceland you know he's played five games for them and he did play for dijon a fair bit i mean he, the connection is in yaki kanya the, the goalkeeping coach yeah they work together at is it Norgeland? sorry everyone for my pronunciation of that who are i'm not going to try and um, basically brentford's um sister club effectively and uh Inaki came from there to Brentford um and you know they, they've remained uh, in contact I mm. mean I can understand a goalkeeper coach wanting to work with people he knows and he trusts um 
But I also have this slight thing in my mind of sort of in the week that, you know, Edu said Arsenal were going to take a more data-led approach to recruitment is just sort of signing the keepers that Kanya happens to know necessarily the best plan. Um, hmm. I don't know is the answer. Yeah, I mean, look, there's an element of, um, I suppose, trying to use somebody's expertise or knowledge of players who might be flying under the radar. Mm. You know, sure. but whether that is the right strategy long term, I mean, Edu did say very clearly um, last week when he was talking about recruitment, he said, I want to work a lot more with stat DNA. It's very important. Um, so, you know, we know that it can be used in, in, in different ways, but certainly identifying um, potential uh, recruitment targets is one of those ways. So whether that's, you know, this is a guy that has been Maybe uh, he profiles brilliantly on Saturday yeah, night. I, mean, yeah, we don't I don't know. know that for sure. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's. Let me ask you about it from this point of view. Would you be. Uh, and let's bring in the sort of sale of Emmy Martinez into this, which is sort of about to go through. Um, would you be kind of comfortable with the idea that Arsenal would take 20 million for Martinez, spend a million on his uh, replacement, and bank that 19 million to use elsewhere? Um. Look, again, it's very difficult to say 100% when you don't know anything about the player that you're potentially bringing in or how good he might be. Um, the other look, thing, by I, the way, to add into the mix, by the way, is that he, um, although Macy's gonna, probably going to go if they can find a buyer or someone to take him, there are a couple of young keepers in the academy. Well, that's what I was going to say to you. There's yeah. uh, Arthur Okwanko and also Carl Hine as yeah. well, who made his... Who's been capped. Yeah, I mean, he's only 18, but he made his debut for Estonia during the last international break. They really so, like him. So, you know, is it a case that they're bringing in this guy to add just a little bit of experience while, you know, a couple of these young guys develop? Mm. I'm not sure. I suppose what you would say um, is that having a good deputy goalkeeper, a good number two is not an easy thing because as we've seen when Emmy Martinez has come in and played very well, you know, if you'd said six months ago we'd have got twenty million pounds for Emmy Martinez, people would have said you're nuts. Mm. You know? Um so it's difficult to keep a very good number two at the club. Um it's an important position in some ways because when Leno went out, you know, Emmy was really really, really important in what we achieved last season. Um, at the same time, though, you know, he could have spent most of the, the, the season sitting on the bench in Premier League terms anyway. Mm. Um, so I wonder what, what we might do with this guy. I mean, if we have ambitions of winning the Europa League, do we play him in the group stages? And as soon as it gets busy, you bring Leno in anyway, you, you know, to play so. in those yeah. games. So, look, it's clear that we do have a financial need to... Um, to bring in money to spend in positions that we really want to spend in. It didn't make a huge amount of sense to me that we might get £20 million for Emmy Martinez and then spend 75% of that convincing Brentford to sell us uh, David Raya. You know, yeah, that didn't yeah. really make any sense to me either, even if Raya might be a more uh, reliable option or a better goalkeeper, you know, based on his experience. So I think there might just be a, a, a situation where you have to kind of cut your cloth accordingly. And if we're bringing in, I mean, look, would people be okay with us going out and bringing in, let's say, a veteran goalkeeper on loan? 
to deputize for Bernd Leno. You know, somebody who's mm. 34, 35, 36, you bring him in on loan, he's not going to do much apart from play the cup games anyway. How much different is it than bringing in somebody like this guy? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Fulham signed Alphonse Ariola, didn't they, um, from PSG, like two mm. days before our fixture. And he was actually offered to Arsenal as an option and they, they didn't go for it. But he's 27, you know, played plenty of football, cap for France. That's the sort of signing that a loan deal like that to me would make a load of sense for Arsenal just to provide experience cover you know Leno is recovering from a relatively significant injury who knows he might mm. pull something you know anything you can pull a muscle taking a goal kick you've seen it happen enough times um, you do want someone there you can rely on so mm. I, I think you're looking for backup goalkeeper I think you're either looking a loan signing um, like once summer, do you remember we signed Viviano? He came in on loan and just sort of barely ever played. I think. I don't think he ever played. Yeah, don't think he, he ever there. played a game. He was Mark there. Boom. But- we signed on loan as well. Then signed him permanently. Yeah. Um, and actually, that was a pretty good signing because he was about thirty-five, had loads of Premier League experience, wasn't ever needed to really play. But you know, if he had to. He was there. I do think experienced, you know, players towards the end mm. of the, their careers can be a decent option in these situations. Because having sold Martinez, I kind of agree with you. In a way, what was the point if we would go out and spend that money on another number two keeper? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, like I know and, the player's wishes had to be taken into account or what, what the player course. wanted as a factor, rather, I should say. It was. I think it was ultimately the defining factor. Yeah. You know, you've found out on Friday he wasn't playing and then it suddenly we are where we are. I mean, have you kind of made your peace with him going? Yeah, look, I mean, I can't begrudge him this kind of a move uh, at yeah. this point in his career. He spent a long time at Arsenal as number three, a couple of seasons maybe as, as number two. And I, I, like everybody, I thought he was great and I really like him. He, he seems like a great guy. Um, but, you know, when you're 28 years of age and you've spent that 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 long in your career not playing regular football, you know, I don't know how we can begrudge him a move like this. How can you fault his ambition to take advantage of a, a situation where his stock is as high as it's ever been? He's mm. getting a move to another Premier League club. He's going to be made the number one there, probably. He um, is going to get a very significant pay rise on top of all that. So as much as I would have loved Arsenal to keep him and maybe to to fight to keep him a bit more, I mean, we don't know if they did or they didn't. I think ultimately in this situation, what the player wanted was to make that move so he could mm-hmm. be the number one goalkeeper at a club and play week in, week out. And I... You know, I'm sad to see him go. I'm sorry to see him go. I think he's he's been great for us, uh, and you know his contribution to to the FA Cup win and and everything else will never be forgotten. I think it's a really nice way for him to bow out as well. Um, he had the Community Shield too, but ultimately Arsenal need money, and this is twenty million pounds that we did not envisage getting six months ago. You know, absolutely. Not. So yeah. I, I think we have to look at the reality of the situation from Emmy's point of view, and also from the club's point of view. So I'm, yeah. you know, I'm sorry to see him go, but I understand it from all sides. 
Yeah, and I think this was always the likeliest way it was going to go. Mm. I mean, twenty million is a lot for any keeper. It's certainly the most Arsenal have ever received from a keeper, yeah. be it in a, a market that has inflated a lot. It's double, you know, what we got from from Chesney. Um, <sighs> For Chesney. But, I mean, uh, the wages thing is a good thing to point out. I mean, he will have had a significant uplift in his salary, taking him much closer to what uh, someone like Bern Leno earns. Can Arsenal afford to be paying out you know, wages of that kind to goalkeepers? Potentially not mm. at the current time. Um, and I actually think, Emmy, I wish him all the best. I, I think they did not feel at Arsenal that he was someone who... He was going to react well to sort of being told, listen, you've got to sit back down on the bench. Mm. And I can understand that, given how long he fought for that place. Um, but I wouldn't bet against him going on having a really good career from here. I mean, you know, I think the Argentina number one spot is there for the taking. And that's, pro- that's another part of why he wants to play regularly as well. Of course, yeah. So, so I, I think he'll do that. And I would mm. think he'll become the Argentina number one. And it, it actually... What a way to leave Arsenal, winning mm. an FA Cup and a Community Shield, um, and with a good chunk of money in the bank too. So, yeah. listen, uh, I think one was always going to go, and that's where we are. Now what we want is to see that money used intelligently mm. to improve us in other areas. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, shall we have another question? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what shall it be? Let me have a look. But, 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 Scotty I, I was so Parker's engrossed. ball! <laughs> Uh, let's have this question from Josh Josh Robinson 87 who says where does Bukayo Saka fit into this team I'm not concerned but Ainsley Maitland-Niles has gone ahead of him at left wing back Pepe and William now play right wing and Aubameyang plays left wing where do you see Saka fitting in good question I am not 100% sure anymore Um, where does Mm. he fit in I mean I think there is a role for him in that left wing back spot for sure. You yeah. know, he played really, really well there for us last season. Um, but where exactly he's going to fit in, I, I don't know. I wish I knew. It's one of those questions and one of those things that I, I'm very curious to see how it plays out over the course of of this season. Um, you know, he was our leading assist maker last season. So, you know, there's... There's real talent there. There's real potential there. Absolutely. Um, but quite where he fits in the team right now, I don't really know. No, I mean, it's tricky. Um, there's lots of positions he can play, as we know. Left mm. back, left wing back, left wing, right wing, central midfield. Uh, I'm fascinated he- to know what the plan is, because there, there obviously has to be a plan. But what is it? Yeah, if I had to hazard a guess, I'd say that the plan is left wing. That would be my guess. But, you know, maybe the plan is that he'll become the left winger on a permanent basis by the time Aubameyang's out the door. You know, it could be the case. It's not really a kind of like-for-like swap, though, in fairness. If you've got a really high-scoring guy coming in with his right foot from the left-hand side, I'm not sure necessarily you swap him for a... For a guy like Saka, who's you know who's not going to be able to play the same role, obviously. Mm. I mean, the same would apply to Gabriel Martinelli to an extent. In mm. that, you know, you'd, you'd look at him if he was fit right now and wonder where the starts were going to come. Uh, I think that Saka probably will have a 
maybe maybe it's a bit like the Saliba case where as exciting and brilliant as he is you know he doesn't necessarily mm. have to play every game and maybe his development will benefit from operating in different areas and you know maybe we'll find it we'll find his best role I, I agree like you if I if you look at this team now and say where does he fit most it's left wing back mm. if, they're, if they're playing the shape they're playing now I think it is left wing back mm. um, but we've not seen him do that loads in this shape I remember a game at Southampton where he did it a couple more maybe but it's generally been Tierney you know, class and Maitland Niles who operated there. So, mm. just sort of going back to that question, I'm, I just uh, remember we didn't quite cover the homegrown thing. I yeah. mean, do you think that is? Do you think that? I mean, it has to be a consideration in terms of what we do and and how we do it. Yeah. So here we go. Um, currently, we have, I believe, this is thanks to at AFC underscore source. So thanks for doing the homework for us. Uh, Arsenal don't have a squad that meets Premier League requirements. We have one too many non-homegrown players, and if we bring, if we were to bring both our and Party, three non-homegrown players must leave. Uh, you don't have to register under twenty-one players, but you can if you need to up your homegrown quota. Um, so, well, in we, terms of home, mm. well, the, the thing is, we don't, as far as I understand it, we don't have to name. Uh, homegrown players we can just only name a certain number of non-homegrown players yeah but we are at 17 on that count Um, well I mean it suggests that some of the non-homegrown players have got to go yes but when you look at that list Socrates is on it you'd think he would be a go Torreira Torreira that's surely a go uh Kalasinac, I think given that we're talking about the sort of wealth of left-back options suddenly, mm. if you can move Kalasinac, I think you probably do. Yep. So that would be three. Um, and that's without mentioning... Kim I mean, Doozy? That, yeah, that's well, without mentioning. under 21, is he? Or is he? He's under 21, so he doesn't have to be registered. Um, I'm just looking at the rest of that list. I mean, Mustafi? Maybe. Mustafi, maybe. There was some talk about interest in him. I mean, you know, Leno staying, Tierney staying, Gabriel staying. Cedric, I wouldn't care less, but he's just signed. Um, Mustafi, maybe. Mm. Mari, just signed. Louise, staying. Kalasinac, we've said. Torreira, we've said. Shaka, staying. Sabayo, staying. Elneny. Elneny, potentially. You know, might have to be a sacrifice there. Yeah. Yeah. Meza Erzul, good luck, everybody. Willian, staying. Pepe, uh, staying. Mm. Bamiang, staying. And Lacazette, seemingly staying. Mm. He was quite emphatic, wasn't he, afterwards about how happy he was. And Mikel Arteta similarly spoke about how happy he was with with Lacazette, Um, which is great for. Red and White Gooner. Asked with yeah. Laka looking like he's staying, do you think we will see Eddie stay as well? Well, I mean, that's something that Arteta said was that you know he wants them to to scrap it out, you know, to have that competition with each other, and he said whoever's best is going to play. So it doesn't sound like they're planning on moving Eddie anywhere. No, um, and it doesn't sound like they're planning on moving Aubameyang, does it? No. No, apart um, from, you know, to a pedestal on which he will sign his new contract and the Arsenal fan base can metaphorically, of course, jizz their pants. <laughs> yeah, the the, the build-up has been quite something. 
uh, one long lap dance from Pierre Micabermier. But <laughs> uh, I think Eddie and... I mean, Arteta sort of implied they were kind of neck and neck, didn't he? He said, you know, Alex is, Lacazette is ahead of Nketiah at the moment. And then he sort of corrected himself. I was like, well, kind of level. Yeah. Uh, and I actually think it's such a physically demanding role, and I'm not sure that's Lacazette's strength at times, that we do need them both, mm. definitely. I mean, the the only issue is, you know, the contract situation with Lacazette. And yeah. if you're a club that is looking to raise funds, you know, do you have to make a decision now on Lacazette, regardless of how happy he is, regardless of how much he wants to stay, regardless of maybe in some ways what the manager wants as a club do you have to look at the situations that you found yourself in contractually with players, you know, more than once in this kind of situation going into the last 12 months? Is it easier to sell or, you know, do you have to take a hit? Is the player more inclined just to sit around? Uh, I don't mean sit around, but like, you know, would be happy to play out his final year and then leave on a free, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that is a consideration that, that, you know, has to be, spoken about um, you know when it comes to the Lacazette situation which kind of leads me to this question um, from the Discord from Ivanson, who says what is your view on the manager being more involved in the recruitment process on one hand if a manager gets the players he wants the results might be better maybe Emery wouldn't have been that much of a train wreck if he got his two big defensive midfielders and left winger um, well maybe and he said for example uh, Ancelotti signed two midfielders he knew previously and Everton's midfield looked cohesive after two weeks of training on the other hand if the manager leaves, you might end up with a group of players that only he likes, which goes against future-proofing the club. So what are your thoughts on this? And I, I suppose the thing to to touch on here, of course, was the announcement at the end of last week. Um, Peter Hust asks, uh, what a fantastic start to the new season. Yes, what's your take on the switch from head coach to manager and what do you think it means for the club? So let's deal with the manager being involved in the recruitment first and then we can talk about the 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 job title thing it's a really good point because the manager the head coach's focus as Rouse described it in, and it was his kind of org chart ultimately his model was very much a short term focus his focus was the next game mm. how do I win this match for Arsenal and consequently you know, the, the, it's inevitable that you're just thinking about the, the players you have right now. And if you think about Arteta, he kind of demanded, look, I want Aubameyang to stay, even though he's the age he is and there's a potential argument for, you know, developing the side in a different direction. He wanted Willian, even though he's 32. Mm. And the responsibility of the technical director is to provide uh, a kind of mid to long-term view and make some of these decisions... Um, almost on the manage on the head coaches sorry behalf in that previous structure and i suppose uh there's something very logical about that because it prevents you getting into holes like the Lacazette one we've just touched on where you you know you've got a player who goes within 2 years of the contract but the manager wants to keep him around it means your 50 million pound investment might end up leaving for nothing um so that is a slight concern in terms of sort of the job titles i do feel like the hierarchy has flipped i do feel like Edu's gone from being one of Arteta's bosses to kind of working for Arteta. I mean, mm. I don't say that with a great degree of intelligence, but just the way in which the model's been described, it suddenly feels like Arteta is at the centre of it and Edu's role is to kind of help him get what he wants. I don't know if, that, if you felt the same, but that's how it looks. Yeah, kind of, kind of. 
you know, there was this sort of clear demarcation beforehand, wasn't there? There was a head of football and there was a head coach. And ultimately, the, the, the most responsible person in that setup is the head of football. And, you know, he's gone. We got rid of him. And I'm, I'm happy enough about that. Um, the technical director, I, I, I really suppose it depends on what is your long-term vision for the club or do you see Arteta as being part of the long-term vision? Like, is yeah. is the is the style of play that Arteta is going to use, is this going to be the Arsenal blueprint mm. from here on in? And if so, the technical director, you know, can get on board with the kind of players um, that can play that way, regardless of, of who is the manager, you know? Uh, I think you're right. Look, w- what's really obvious is, you know, the first iteration of post-Wenger Arsenal didn't work. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. Sanyehi gone, Gazidis gone, Mislintak gone. Uh, Edu, I would say, I'm not saying, well, how do I put this? He's kind of on the coattails of Arteta, if you like. Yeah. Yeah? He's he's aligned himself with that guy. Um, I think so. It looks that way to me. Yeah. yeah right? Um, and, and just to sort of be clear, I'm kind of positive about hearing more from him. Um, mm. I mean, there was literally a, a a policy in place where we weren't supposed to hear from Edu. Mm. Via Raul Sanyehi, who didn't want Edu to talk who didn't want him to expand on what he's doing. And I think if we're hearing more from Edu about what he's doing and what his roles and responsibilities are, that's good. That is a positive thing. So um, even if it has slightly flipped or the the the, um, the power is slightly more one way than the other, uh, I think it's good that we're hearing from Edu. As for Arteta, it gives him just officially the kind of authority that he has been um, behaving sounds like I'm being critical or something. But, you know, I just mean from the time he's come into the club, and we've said this before, haven't we? He's He talks like a manager. He acts yeah. like a manager. He he has, um, you know, the, the, the mindset of a manager much more than a head coach. And I think he's cognizant of the fact that, you know, he can't be a Wenger. He can't be a Ferguson. He's not going to do all the things that those guys did in the old days when they were manager of the football club. But what I think this does is give him officially the authority with which he has been comporting himself since the day he walked through the door. And if we're feeling positive about the direction of the club and where we're going to go and how we're going to get there, it's in no small part because of that. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, I I think it's a it's a positive thing. It feels a bit more streamlined, um, if we've identified Arteta as that guy, you know, who who is going to be the future of the club, you know, and he does more than head coach, why pretend that he's just a head coach when he's not? Absolutely. And I, I, I'm reminded, actually, on the style of play point, that when Edu came in, I think one of the things Sanye described was that, you know, the, the, the style of play will be set by the technical director and he will have a vision for the way Arsenal will play. And I do feel that Arteta's walked in and sort of said, well, that's actually my bag. That's my responsibility. I'll make this team <clears throat> into something mm. and you can kind of help me fill in the gaps. And, and look, I don't think that's wrong. It's, it's a reversion to something more akin to the kind of uh, Arsene Wenger-David Dean relationship, where, you know, when Dean was at his best, it was getting Arsene what he needed, what he wanted. And if Edu can do that for Arteta and make his life easier, 
then fantastic. But I think the the real football authority in the club currently lies with the manager. Yeah. Well, look, I think we said before as well that, that you know, managers can come and go and head coaches can come and go. And, and sometimes it can take a little while to get the mix right at executive level too. You know, mm-hmm. at the top of the club, who is running things? Who's the guy in charge of this? I mean, I think, you know, uh, Vinay now is chief executive. Yeah. Um, you know, there is that one guy. And I, I think there's something quite interesting in the fact that they're all they're all pretty young. You know, in the grand scheme of things, Sufia. you know, Arteta is what, 38? Vinay is, I don't know how old he is, 40 maybe? I do, early 40s. 42. Yeah. Who else is involved? Josh Kroenke, uh, of course. Per Mertesacker. Per Mertesacker, yeah. Something. You know, so this is potentially, and look, we can't say with any assurance that it is going to work, but what we've got is a, a structure which has got young, forward thinking people in it. Um, you know, the age profile of, the old board, if you like, was was um, very much the other way. It was, it was. I don't want to say out of date because that sounds a bit re- disrespectful. But you know, they weren't young men, and no. now we have a team of young men um, who are obviously ambitious and hopefully want the best things for Arsenal and want Arsenal to be successful and they want to do a good job, whether it's per it. Uh, academy level, Mikel Arteta senior level, and you know Edu Vinay. What a big opportunity they have right now to to shape a football club the size of Arsenal in the years to come. And I think that's a very very interesting part of this this dynamic. Um, so look, I, I think it's a positive move. Whether it all plays out or where, whether everything works, we'll have to wait and see. But you know, if you were calling for Arsenal to be a bit more modern and to have people involved who've connections with the club who 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 understand the modern game mm-hmm. all of those things here we are absolutely um how about this okay this is from the discord from klaus faust and klaus says given that reese nelson is now firmly buried on the depth chart is it worth considering a sale? Might selling someone of his ilk generate enough funds to allow Arteta to retain those more essential to the squad he wants in Bellerin, Lacazette, Holding, etc.? Mm, we had a similar question from Ollie Tucker on Twitter who said, if Willian and Pepe share the right wing this season, what does that mean for Reese Nelson? Will he get as much game time? If not, should he be sold or sent for another loan? Um, I have a feeling that Reese Nelson will go on loan really? at least. On loan. At least, yeah. Look, Willian is playing from the right-hand side. Um, Pepe plays from the right-hand side. We know Reese Nelson can play a bit from the left mm-hmm. um, and did play a bit from the left with Hoffenheim, didn't he, during his loan? Um, yeah, and he's done it. He's done it under-23s as well. And he's played centrally as well for them. But as we've spoken about, you've got Aubameyang there, you've got Saka there, you've got Martinelli there. So I have a feeling that Nelson could be somebody who goes out on loan for the duration of the season. I think he could be one of the loan departures. And I think potentially, if there is an offer that's good enough, we might consider it for a sale as well. Yeah. I I mean, looking at it, I think that would be the best thing for him. I do think Arteta likes him, by the way. I don't think it's a question of, I I don't rate him. Yeah. I think he does. I really get the impression he, he values him and thinks he's a good player. But when you list those options, Martinelli to come back as well. Mm. Um, 
Meza Ozil in the squad if required. Um, it's difficult to... Well, you know, clearly I think we could afford to let him go out on loan. And I think he might really benefit from that. Um, so that is definitely one to keep an eye on. What do you... Just on that right-hand side, do you sort of envisage any issue between Willian and Pepe? Yeah, Desiree on Twitter, at Desinit, um, said, do you think Willian's performance will have an effect on how Arteta sees Pepe? Like I said at the start, it's one game in, so it's difficult to know um, if there's something bigger happening or something bigger going on in terms of how Arteta sees his options there, right? Yeah. Maybe Willian was just seen as more ready for this particular game than Pepe was. Um it shouldn't be forgotten that Pepe finished the season quite strongly, had a great game in the FA Cup final, seems yeah. to have convinced Arteta of, you know, his quality in terms of what he, you know, does defensively and offensively. So, you know, I'm not writing off Pepe by any means. I just wonder how, if Willian comes in and score, uh, makes two assists, two and a half assists, what we call it, um, yeah. you know, on his debut, you don't drop him for the next game. No. It's very difficult to see that happening. Mm. I mean, and Aubameyang's sewn up that left-sided role, hasn't he? Mm. And then, you know, Lacazette and Ketia will compete for the central one. When you're playing three at the back as well, you don't get to put that other player further forward or perhaps somebody like no. somebody like Willian or Pepe playing more centrally, um, which would free up the right hand Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that might happen at some point, you know. I, I think that I don't see Arteta being wedded to one formation all through the season anyway. Um, and I, I do feel like that is a, a natural evolution of the side that we might see, that there might be the sacrifice of a centre-half to include an extra attacking player. And, and Pepe would be sort of potentially the 12th man, the one to benefit from that, you know? Well, I mean, we had a question here from uh, the Gunnar Talk at the Gunnar Talk TV. Uh, and Tom says, Hey guys, the current setup of a 3-4-3 formation looked to be an effective tool to combat offensive teams like Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, etc., etc. Many then thought we should switch to a back four versus teams like Fulham to impose our own attacking threat. However, having just put on a very offensive display using the same 3-4-3 formation, do you think there's scope to maintain this system in the long term, even after possible midfield additions um, in in quotes if it ain't broke don't fix it well as we sort of said in part one and the point that has to be continually made about Arteta's formations is that it's only really a 3-4-3 when Arsenal don't have the ball um, and as soon as they get it you're absolutely right to point out Gabriel and Holding played centre-half as a pair Tierney stepped out to left back. Maitland Niles moved into quite an advanced central midfield role. Mm. Um, Bellerin was even pushing on higher than that. So, you know, it, it sort of went to, you know, kind of a 2 3 5 or whatever it might be, but or, or more of a 4 3 3, whatever you want to say. It's only three at the back when Arsenal are recovering and don't have the ball. Mm. Um, so, you know, uh, the, the chances of them making a formation switch that's, OK, and now we're in this shape and we just play, stay in that shape regardless of whether or not we're in possession, I think are actually quite slim. I mean, Man City don't, although they have that recognisable 4-3-3 shape, whether they do or don't have the ball affects the way they orient themselves and the way they position. And Arteta's teams, I would expect to do the same. Um, but 
is there a way of squeezing an extra attacking player in there? Maybe. But at the moment, you would have to say everything we're sort of doing with the current setup is is looking pretty effective. So I'm not in a hurry. I'm certainly not in a hurry to rush into the next phase of this team. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. My gut feeling is that he wants to use a back four um, more than a back three, but it's about getting the personnel in place and getting them ready to be that. And that's not just the defensive personnel, it's the midfield personnel too, you know, to Mm. to give you that that attacking thing. So, look, I'm, I'm just curious to see it play out over the course of this season um, as we develop and, you know, whether we tailor our, our formation for specific opposition or, you know, certain types of opposition we play one way. And, you know, when we're playing the big teams, do we do the back three thing, which gives us that solidity, which we've seen in, in some of the, the recent performances. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like there's an element of what's going on right now is due to the fact that it's the start of the season. Not everyone is ready. The The preseason has been truncated, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure he's had the time to work with the players on something. I'm not saying playing with a back four is new, but in terms of how he would want them to play with the back four, it certainly is. And if he is targeting a certain player or players to bring into the team, to help us play that way and we don't have them yet it makes sense to stick with what we're doing and what we've done pretty well um in the last number of weeks and again it's something we've repeated and we've said a number of times is that you know the idea of three at the back isn't inherently negative you know Uh, and i think one of the more pleasing things about the way we played against fulham um on saturday was the fact that we were able to create and you know the two deep-lying midfielders, Shaka and Elmeni, both completed quite a number of passes into the final third, which you wouldn't normally associate with them because what happens when we play against a team like Fulham with this system is that they pick up the ball in the centre and they become the arc of the horseshoe, if you like. Mm -hmm. So they're the ones who just recycle the ball from one side to the other to the other to the other, and they they don't really make passes um, into the final third, which those two did. Um, on Saturday, so there are, there have been little tweaks to the way that we're playing, which means that the the sort of desperation or the need that we have to get that extra attacking player onto the pitch uh, as a replacement for a defender isn't quite as acute as it well, was. Well, we were get we were getting the players in those areas. That's the thing. Without mm. there being nominally a, a number ten or an advanced attacking midfield player on the pitch. Willian was getting in there to pick up the ball. Maitland-Niles was getting in there to pick up the ball. You know, Hector Bellerin was getting in there to pick up the ball. So we had a presence in that area in front of the penalty area where, you know, we didn't for long spells last season. So, you know, that that I think is a sign that the team is evolving and developing, even if, you know, when Sky or BT lay the formation out at the start, it mm. looks it looks the same. Mm. Um, what about this from Marin Seventeen saying Spurs have a qualifying game for the Europa League on Thursday? Do you want them to lose because fuck them, or do you want them to win, which might result in Mourinho whining about fitness and schedules even more? Mm. And then he says, as hilarious it would be to watch them crash out of the Europa League this early, I'm a bit torn myself. I always want them to lose. Always, every single game they play. Um, but I could see how having to play a couple of more qualifiers would be uh, very annoying to them. So it's trying to find that balance. 
The yeah. dream for me, I think, is that they go out in the group stage, that they have to deal with the travelling and, you mm. know, the fixture list and the stretch squad, and they don't make it through that uh, yeah. into the knockouts. That would be... You know, for me. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. I don't want to spend any time talking about Spurs on this particular podcast, though, so fuck them. Um, okay, let's do this one finally, uh, because we are under a bit of time pressure today. It comes from Tommy Gooner, who's at D 91 He says, did you enjoy Martin Keown completely fabricating a conversation between Willian and Lacazette when they stood over a free kick? And should there be a co-commentator whose, whose sole job it is to make up dialogue between players during the match? Now, I watched the match without the benefit, or whatever you might call it, of commentary. So you will have to relay this to me. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, And I should have downloaded the clip, actually, but I didn't. And I downloaded the game again in Spanish, so I can't quite remember exactly what it was. But he was talking about, like, oh, I'll take this. uh, Or my turn here. Are you sure about this? You sure? You're only new in the club. Uh, Uh, Here you you go. Lacazette is saying to Willian... Are you sure you're ready for this? It's your first day out. Ready? <laughs> I was born ready. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's great. It's good, yeah. It was good. I think, yeah, maybe people should be encouraged to kind of, you know, add in the dialogue, especially when players cover their hands, you know? I feel like it's an opportunity. For oh, that's really easy, in. though. That's really easy. Yeah. They cover the hands and... The- <laughs> Um, yeah no I thought that was quite funny actually I did quite enjoy because um, throughout the game um, Mikel Arteta was doing his usual thing of of talking to the players I think we were texting a little Mm. bit about this you know some of the players that he was he he must have been saying Gabby but it it sounded like Danny to me the whole time and I was going he's on the bench Tobias is on the bench there's only so much he can do yeah yeah. furiously running on the spot yeah yeah but, you know, he was talking to Hector Bellerin in Spanish and he was talking in English and he was talking in French and, you know, he was... Scottish to Tierney. Yeah. <laughs> Putting on the accent. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I can't even think of anything you might say um, in that circumstance, but it's a funny idea all the same. Um, but but Keown, um, Martin Keown was sort of a bit like, you know, it would be great if he could just talk in English to all of them, you know, mm-hmm. just have that one language, like Arsene Wenger said, you know, have the one language of, you know, of the team, et cetera, et cetera. And I can see that point, but I think you kind of have to take your hat off to a manager who can speak to his players in as many different languages as Mikel Arteta can speak to his players in. You know? Oh, it's amazing. He does a lot of shouting in Spanish. I wonder are genuinely some of his instructions in Spanish. Because yeah. you hear him shout um, fuera a lot, which means out. Fuera, fuera. And I don't know whether he's shouting it just at Hector or everybody. I think he's doing it to everybody. Yeah. Uh, I think there are certain sort of key trigger words that he does in Spanish. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to getting into a ground this season and having a proper listen to it, because it is amazing. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. You and know? the way he switches between languages is quite incredible. Mm. He's like the sort of Duolingo owl or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Google Translate in human form. Exactly. They have exactly. made the machine with the perfect hair and all the languages. <laughs> 
Yeah. All right. Okay, well, look, we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, A great way to kick off a new season. Hope you enjoyed the game on Saturday and hope you enjoyed the podcast as always. Uh, Thanks for listening, subscribing, and all the rest. Oh, uh, how many points did you get in your uh, fantasy football? Oh, well, I know I had Mohamed Salah as captain, so I got a fair chunk. I think I got about 70. How about your all-star 11? My all-star 11 raked in a massive 10 points. That's probably more than you were planning on, to be honest. I was absolutely gutted. Who who ruined it for you? I don't know. I haven't even looked. I'm so disgusted I can't even look in their... their uh, their digitized faces on the on the screen, but on the plus side, um, in our Patreon members league, which is now closed to new entries, but I did give you all a warning: there are one thousand two hundred and forty-four people in the league. Wow! I am one thousand two hundred and forty-fourth. So come on, the season has oh. got off to an amazing start for me. And my Arsenal are top, your team are bottom. Just can't get anybody be going better at this point. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, look, we will leave it there. We'll have some stuff for you midweek. We're going to be doing a tactics podcast with Lewis for the Patreon members. So keep an eye out for that. I'll give you a shout, uh, you know, in all the usual places for that. For now, though, we will uh, leave it there and we will catch you on the next one. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.